In 2014, Seattle became the first city in the nation to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, creating a national movement and a huge conversation. Well, in 2015, CEO of Seattle-based Gravity Payments said, huh, I'm going to do one even better. I'm going to raise the minimum salary of our staff to $70,000 a year. Yes, and that had made a huge conversation across the globe. Well, let's find out what inspired him to cut company profits to benefit his lowest paid workers. And also, let's find out what he wants his legacy to be. Dan Price, brother, welcome. Thanks, G. Thanks for having me on. Let's start before 2015, because many assume that CEOs are completely out of touch, hanging out with the mega rich, always on these private planes and having conversations that aren't relatable to us normal, common folks, regular salary making folks. Well, you had a friend who was barely scraping by and you also had employees at your own company that were taking second jobs. So back then, let me ask. Were you out of touch? Absolutely, G, 100%. And I really owe it to those employees and to that friend, Valerie. You know, uh, the other employees that I talk a lot about, Rosita Barlow and others who really, you know, uh, confronted me in their own ways to, to help me get back into touch because absolutely I was out of touch. You know, I was making a million dollars a year and... You know, that sounds like a lot of fun. And of course, that's great. And, you know, it'd be good for, for everybody to, you know, to have the opportunity to make enough money to be happy and healthy and those sorts of things. But when you're making that kind of money, you know, somebody making thirty, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year, you really don't see their struggles. And I got to tell you what, G, a big part of it, too, is there's so much propaganda out there to help billionaires and wealthy people. And we all go around spreading it. We do free free PR, free propaganda for rich people every day. You know, I see it on Twitter and on LinkedIn when I post about these things. Everyone wants to stick up for the billionaires. And it, and it really doesn't make sense. Of course, we all would like to see ourselves in that position someday because we believe in ourselves and we believe in the American dream and meritocracy but the reality is the statistics say exactly the opposite, which is if you're not wealthy, chances are you're never going to be wealthy. And so we really need to uh, we really need to rein in, uh, you know, wealthy people in general. And, and absolutely, I was out of touch. Yeah. You know, you, you're right. Can you give us an example? You I mean, you're totally right about the propaganda that we see on social media. I've had plenty of people argue with me, fight with me about um, why billionaires should continue to thrive. And I don't understand it because I've never had an argument with a billionaire. I don't know if I know a billionaire, to be honest with you. But anyways, what are some examples of sometimes that you might see on social media to help us recognize that? Well, one was, um, you know, calling me a socialist, you know, six years ago uh, in 2015 when I did take the million dollar pay cut so that all my employees could make at least $70,000 a year. You know, people went after me and they basically said, like, you know, you're a socialist. This is wrong. You're going to ruin the company. And there's this sort of like bro attitude of like, you know, I'm so smart because I know that the reason why it works is because that's like the perfect system. You know, basically defending capitalism, but people really lose their minds, um, especially on LinkedIn, I notice, 
even with mild critiques of capitalism, mild critiques of the system. But the reality is that, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s, we did have a demonstration of an economic system that would basically double wages for people every 10 or 15 years. And we also at that time had a tax rate for wealthy people and for corporations that was upwards of 50% of corporate revenue going to taxes. And so that system worked really well for everybody but those ultra wealthy billionaires. And in reality, it worked well for them too. Um, I just think that we just gotta get this sort of disease of trickle, net, trickle down economics out of our head because we've just all been beat over the head with it for so many decades now that we forget that there are alternatives. You know, even other countries that you want to look at it, be it Costa Rica or some of the countries in Northern Europe, you know, they have a more equal system where people have access to healthcare, to education, you know, for free. And those things really, really matter. And, and if we had, the last point I'll make on this one is, if we had the, the minimum wage go up with CEO pay over the last couple decades, the minimum wage wouldn't be $15 an hour right now. You know what it'd be? It'd be $35 an hour. If we had it go up with productivity over the last 40 years, it'd be $25 an hour. And you know what the median wage would be? It would be $100,000 a year per American. Uh, instead of the median American worker making 56000 a year, they'd be making 100000 a year. So if currently you're out there and you're saying, well, I don't make 56, I make 40. You'd probably be making close to 80. If somebody making 60, you'd probably be making, you know, call it 110, 120,000. That's the way it should work. And it's not rocket science. And the billionaires know that. So they make sure to hit us with all these messages that we just won't be able to defeat. But they don't make any sense, actually. They're just sort of just meaningless statements. I'll pull the curtains back. You're a friend of mine. Uh, you're one of the great followers on Twitter. A lot of my friends follow you on Twitter. So current day, we know what Dan Price is about. But let's go back. Let's go back. Let's find out how Dan Price became to be. I need to know this. Man, what was your first job? What was your first job and or your worst job? Because I got to find out what shaped Dan Price to be who and how he is today. Well, that's very kind of you, G. And I got to tell you... Um, one of the things that we do have to keep in mind, I'll answer your question, but I just need one caveat, which is everything that I've done is actually normal and should be considered normal because all I did was basically take the resources that were created by these people that were working at Gravity Payments and just fairly give it to them or at least closer to fair, you know, as opposed to before it was so unfair. And I think, I truly believe, G, and I, I know you, you know, care about me and, and all that, but I, I just got to be honest with you, like, I truly believe that most, if not every nice 10-year-old out there on the planet would make the exact same decisions I've made. So I don't think there's anything special about them. I don't think I'm a hero. I don't think I should be looked up to in any sort of moral sense. Not, I'm not trying to, like, bag myself. It's just... It's just that the bar is so low for somebody like me. And so the people that we should really be asking these questions to are, you know, the teachers out there and the social workers and the people working with kids and people with disabilities. You know, those are the real people that that we should think about. But in terms of me, you know, my first job, I, I grew up out in the country between two towns of 100 people, uh, between a town called Marsing and a town called Melba, Idaho. Uh, so way out in the country, uh, down the street from a dump. 
And I was just always hustling, always, you know, like going around the neighborhood, asking if I could do landscaping, all these sorts of things. When I was 13, I got hired uh, doing uh, HVAC installations. So I would install like central uh, heating and air conditioning systems. And the boss liked me because I was a hard worker and I could kind of crawl into vents and stuff. And I was small. But I also started a rock band when I was 12. And that was like my first career. Uh, my only two W-2 jobs, I worked at Outback Steakhouse as a prep cook and a busboy, um, and then also as a lifeguard uh, for kids, uh, keeping kids safe when I, was, when I was in high school. But I started gr- building what became Gravity my junior year of high school around the time I was 17, 18 years old. So I've pretty much been doing this my whole life, and you know, I just got to say, you know, um, somebody in this field in 2021 gets more credit than they deserve, gets more money than they deserve because, you know, we just, us tech CEOs, we sort of have the deck stacked in our favor right now. And that's, that's kind of what we got to change. So I get a lot of credit for being basic, my friend, but don't forget I am basic. Fair. And you know what? A lot of the greatest things that happen in our world are from basic people doing, you know, great things, working hard. But here's where you stand out, and here's where I know you don't want to get the credit, but here's where I'm going to give you credit. How many other CEOs are out here on social media talking about the problems within the system? Not many of you are taking this opportunity to do that. So I need to ask you this. How much flack are you getting from those in the CEO world about what you're doing? Well, I... I Pretty regularly do uh, hear four-letter words uh, set in my direction from wealthy people and CEOs. And uh, recently, um, you know, I was on a phone call uh, with a bunch of them and they were listening to like some tax experts and things like that talk about, you know, they're worried that their tax rate's going to go up just a little bit. And, you know, I kind of pointed out that, you know, that they're paying a lower tax than the middle class and how that doesn't really make sense. And taxing people's wealth at a lower rate than their work doesn't really make sense. And yeah, you know, I, I definitely get some some insults uh, thrown in my direction and, and get some problems. But I got to tell you, it's it's worth it. And the people that I am connected to on social media and just out there in the world, people like you that, that we talked, we collaborate, we're basically kind of all doing the same thing, saying the same types of stuff out there. It's just, I guess what's different is having somebody in my position do it. And so that's where I have had a lot of people like rally support around me. But if anything, I feel like, you know, those people kind of deserve the credit for getting this message out there. Because if I can be a a counterbalance example to all this misinformation, I do feel a responsibility because I've been studying business my whole life. You know, I'm, I'm unusual in that I'm 37, but I've been running a company for going on 20 years now. So that's kind of a weird combination. And so I feel a responsibility to share the things that I know, but I'm not sharing anything that everybody out there doesn't already know. It's just I can put it into that business terminology to help people to basically be able to persuade their boss, you know, have those conversations at work where... You know, they really reveal to people because people say, hey, you can't do that. You can't do it. You'll go out of business. And we did it and we tripled our business. We cut our turnover in half and our employees are much happier and healthier. So, you know, if anybody out there, if the boss is saying can't do it or it's socialist, you know, show them some of our videos, show them some of our stuff because we're just out there saying absolutely it can be done and the excuses aren't good enough anymore. 
Let's dig deeper. Again, you are a CEO of a company, all right? And the one thing that I've learned about you is I think of the word empathy and it's something that you have when it comes to others. I'm not saying that other people don't have it. I'm just saying something personally about you. For me, brother, I lived in my car and I believe that's the reason why a lot of times I have empathy for others when they have a hard time. I need to dig deep and find out what happened to you to discover this part of you to be more empathetic towards people? What type of personal experiences for you that led you to this path? There has to be something deeper. Well, again, G, I will, I'll answer your question, but I'll just say, if you walked and walk around Gravity Payments, talk to anybody that works there, they're all empathetic. There's So everybody out there is empathetic or has the ability to be. And the only reason why somebody like me, the reason why I stand out, I think, you know, for you too, you know, you're in media and everything, so you stand out because it's harder to find somebody who's empathetic in media, let's be honest. But it's extremely hard to find somebody who's empathetic, you know, who is a CEO who's controlling people's pay because the system selects for the people that are not empathetic. So, you know, I don't think I deserve really too much uh, extra credit on that. But, I mean, I guess some things that did help me in life were, you know, I was... I was the fourth of six kids raised in a conservative Christian family. So I knew what it was like to kind of be an outsider. And then I went to school for the first time when I was 12 in seventh grade. So that was tough going mm. to school. Excuse me, going to school in seventh grade when I didn't have social skills because I'd been homeschooled and I didn't know any kids. And that was a tough combination because seventh grade, you know, is not the year where people are the nicest to outsiders. Um, but I had some friends pull me aside and help me out, you know, be like, Hey, you know, I don't know what your budget is, but if you can afford some different shoes that might help. So then I saved up, bought some different shoes and then they made fun of me again because it was pay less shoes and they're supposed to be vans, but I didn't know the difference. And so it was like all these like things where I realized, you know, that stuff's kind of arbitrary. It shouldn't really matter what kind of shoes I'm wearing in terms of if you want me as your friend. I mean, if you want me as your friend, it should be like, if I make you feel good, if I support you when you need me, if I you know, challenge you or confront you when you need me to, like that's what a good friend is. And so it was, it was eye-opening for me to see that at an early age, you know, how that was a little bit backwards. And, you know, I, I, um, I feel like having that struggle of, you know, making that initial friend group, like going into school. But, you know, again, I don't think it's really... I don't think it's anything real special. Um, you know, like starting my company was, was, was tricky. It was difficult. You know, there was definitely a period of time where I had, I don't know, 20 or 30 bucks in my bank account. Like things got, you know, to a, a difficult spot, but I was always smiling and I always felt like if I can just go out there and help these small businesses and they trust me, you know, that's what's going to make me happy in the long term. And of course I found out later on how important money is and how important having enough money to support yourself is. But at that time, you know, I was 18 years old. So, you know, it was, it was fine. And I really enjoyed the process, but I got to tell you, I think the number one thing that's given me empathy is just the people I work with are such good people. I just want to just try to keep up with them. And, uh, and also all these community, small business owners, you know, I walk around Seattle, our first we have 20,000 small businesses that we do credit card processing for. But our first thousand small businesses, I personally was the rep 
at that for the salesperson and customer service person for a majority of those first thousand businesses. And a lot of them are still using my company, Gravity, and I walk around and see them, and they're just such amazing people that sacrifice so much. And so I think just being exposed you know, to people like you, to small businesses, to, uh, to my employees, you know, I think that's you know, allowed me to, to work on myself, become a better person. But you know, I try to do the right things. I try to you know, go to therapy, go to you know, do my yoga, my meditation, my exercise. You know, I try to eat healthy when I can. Like just, just again, kind of like just taking care of myself. But again, what an amazing privilege that I have to be able to invest in myself in that way where most people couldn't afford to do all those five things that I just said. So, you know, I think a lot of it really is um, in the, all those built-in advantages. Um, so, you know, we got to, those of us who have been blessed to get on the other side of, you know, tough situations like you have, um, you know, we have a responsibility to figure out a way to lift, lift everybody else up and change the system because we don't want a system where we pretend that we want people to be homeless living in a car so that they can be more empathetic because we can be more empathetic just by taking care of ourselves, going to therapy, doing all the right things. That you know, idea that we need those low, low struggles to be empathetic, I think that's sort of a, a part of the problem with the billionaires. Six years ago, in 2015, you made a promise to about 33 sixth graders. What was that about? And then bring us current day. I, see, Dan, that's the thing. I know you don't like talking about yourself, but you're on the show. So I don't, I know what happened, but I want the people listening to know what happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind doing a little chest beating as long as it will help some people out there. And uh, it, I, these sixth graders were just incredible. So. I got this um, envelope. It was like one of those manila envelopes, you know, the kind of yellowish ones. And it was like, had like tons of tape around the side reinforced. And it was like, oh, somebody put a lot of care into this envelope to make sure nothing happened. But it was kind of hard to open because it had like tape covering the whole thing for like armor for this envelope. So I opened it up and I saw 34 letters in it. 33 from the sixth graders uh, in Irvine, California at Woodbury Elementary School and a 34th from their teacher, Hillary Dimitrick at the time, now Hillary Gray. And Miss Gray explained that her 33 students had chosen to write a letter to me um, about what they were thinking about what I did, about their own hopes and dreams and what they wanted to you know, do to give back and succeed and all these sorts of things. And then she sent me a DM on social media separately and said, hey, it would really mean a lot to my students if you could write a letter back. If you can type one up and send it, that would be the best. But if you just want to send me a note on social media, I'll read it in front of the class. And it'll mean so much to these students because they're not expecting that you'll be able to write back to them. And this will really encourage them with their writing. So I was like, well, I can do a little better than that. So I called the principal. And I said, I want to surprise the teacher. Can you come up with a cover? And he said, absolutely. So I showed up and the kids were all just, you know, really excited. And we spent a few hours chatting and they just told me about like questions they had, things that they thought about what I did, but also just so much about, you know, what drove them. And, uh, and so six years later, um, 
Well, oh, at the end of that, I got inspired. And I was not planning this. This is true. I did not plan it. I got inspired and I said, I'm going to give, I want to keep writing because I really like these conversations. So I want to keep talking to y'all. You can all come visit me in Seattle, which a few of them have. You can keep writing me every year. But I want to reward you for it because it really brings me a lot of joy. So I want to give you some compensation. So I'm going to come up with a $1,000 scholarship for each of you for your writing if you want to keep writing to me. So they all kept writing to me and it's just been incredible. So six years later, we had a reunion. And, you know, these sixth graders, some of them hadn't seen each other in six years. Some were like still best friends and everything in between. And it was so amazing because it was like being a time portal down there in Irvine and you snap your fingers and six years later had passed. And, you know, some of the kids had changed a ton. There was this one dude, CJ, and he was the biggest kid in the class. He was like five foot. 10 or something as a sixth grader and I go back six years later the dude's still five foot ten so now everybody (laughs) caught up to him and it was so funny to see all the little changes but we just had such a good time and I was able to go over to the teacher's house uh, meet her husband and have dinner with them you know share some fellowship and we just had a blast man it was so much fun and I'm I'm so grateful so I delivered on the thousand dollar checks which I found out was important because apparently there's an episode of The Office called Scott's Tots where Michael Scott, the main character in the TV show The Office, promises scholarships but then doesn't have any money and then he like breaks all the kids' hearts. And so all the kids and everybody's been trolling me for six years that I'm going to be the next Michael Scott and it felt great to finally make good on my promise. That's that's awesome. I guess got a few more before we get to the last question, which is what you want your legacy to be. We'll save that for last. Can, can money buy happiness, Dan? Can, can you buy happiness? And if not, what can money buy? Well, I'll tell you what, G, I know for sure that, you know, it's not right when people say money can't buy happiness. I know that for sure. Because giving money to people in poverty has been proven to be the most effective antidepressant ever in history. Literally, you give money to people in poverty and you just watch statistically the depression subside. And so it's a lack of money that can steal your happiness. So it's not so much that money gives you happiness, it's a lack of money that steals your happiness. And this was proven in 2010 by two... uh, 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 scientists who both won Nobel Prizes for the research, Angus Deaton and Daniel Kahneman. And what they said was in 2010, you know, sort of in middle America for a family, if you have less than $75,000 per year coming in for every dollar you take away, it costs you more in terms of your well-being, your health, your happiness. But Once you get to that, whatever that magic number is, and where you and I live in Seattle, let's be realistic, it's not 75,000 for a family, it's probably 150,000 for a family if if we're being realistic about things. But whatever that number is, once you get to it, you can keep making more money and you'll feel good about yourself, you'll feel like, wow, I'm more successful, but you won't be healthier and you won't be happier overall. You might approve of yourself more, but you won't just feel happier inside. You won't be, you won't, you won't have your well-being enhanced. And so this is part of what we misunderstand because most people have had the experience trying to get up to that magic number, whatever it is. 
But most people haven't had the experience getting 10 times the magic number or 100 times the magic number and knowing that how empty that is. And so I will say to you that for me, giving up all that money made me happier and I'm way happier working in an environment where everyone's taken care of in terms of the world, their well-being rather than having a whole ton of money. So, you know, it's a complicated answer, but I would say we definitely can't say money won't buy happiness because it buys happiness for everybody that doesn't have enough. Wow, that's a powerful answer. And I think you're so right about the giving part of things. And I, and I got to tell you, I know that feeling. I just have never heard of it being an antidepressant. And that's so, I'm glad you told me that because I felt that feeling. And I don't know if I should say this, but it's a high, man. When I give to people and I give to someone, it is the best feeling in the world. And what's even better is when you, I don't even say anything about it. I don't post it. I don't say anything. That feeling to help someone is tremendous. Well, look, man, I've appreciated your time. You're our first guest on our podcast. So this last question is going to be a question that's going to be answered by so many people after you. So the first answer is going to be coming from you, and it's simple. It's leaving a legacy. What is it that you want your legacy to be, Dan? I want to be the guy who uh, went from being, you know, a part of this system that's doing a lot of terrible things, that's very greedy, to doing the baseline minimum, being basic. And that's what I want people to remember, that I'm just a regular guy I'm doing the absolute basic minimums. I'm trying to do more. I'm working on myself and all that, and I'm trying to do better. But I'm, I'm just always trying to do the basics because I really think that, that the most overhyped, the most overpaid, uh, the most over-glorified uh, figures maybe in the history of the world are wealthy people and CEOs in 2021. Those are the people that get far too much credit. And in reality, if we look at, you know, somebody like Jeff Bezos going out there and saying something like Black Lives Matter and then busting a union full of black people who just want to, you know, make a living wage. If we look at, you know, people like Walmart going out there and saying like, oh, we care about our employees, we're a family, and then not paying their employees enough to actually take care of their own families even though they're making billions of dollars. You know, these things shouldn't be considered normal. And therefore, I shouldn't be considered great. So I just want us to, you know, rethink that. And I want my legacy to be that I was just a, you know, basic guy that, that did, did the right thing and did the minimum. Nothing more, nothing less. No reason that this guy should get any special credit. Let's just go about our business. Dan Price, grateful for your time, brother. I really am grateful for everything that you do in this world, and you're right. I love the regular stance that you have, but I love the big heart even more, and more of us in this country need to grab some of that, bottle it up, and sprinkle it on each other and create a better society and better hope for a better tomorrow. My man, peace and love. Thanks, G. You're making the world a better place. I appreciate you, and it's so fun to talk to you all the time, so happy to do it anytime you want. Thanks, brother. Take care, man. Thanks, yes, G. Yes, take yes, care. Sir. All right. Take care, bro.